Hey, welcome to the Kingdom Church Podcast. We're so glad you could join us. You're listening to the seventh part of our series in the book of Galatians. So whatever you're doing, wherever you are, sit back, relax. Here it is. We, uh, we're we in part seven of our series going through the book of Galatians. Uh, now in, in the Bible, the number seven represents completion. Um, unfortunately, we are not done. Actually, fortunately, fortunately, we are not done. We still got a few more weeks to go, and uh, I'm excited for that. So um, with that being said, though, this is really important. Next week, we will not be going through the book of Galatians, and we will not be here in this space. So uh, if you don't know, next weekend is Easter weekend. And so what that means is there's no service here uh, on Saturday. Uh, Next Sunday at the St. Albert Inn, 10 o'clock, Easter service. Invite a friend, invite your family. It's going down. It's going to be amazing. Um, <clears throat> and if, uh, if you guys didn't get an email, it means you're not on our email list, which means, hey, why didn't you fill out a connect card? We would love to have you on our email list. So um, I'm going to just read the word of God this morning. If you guys don't mind standing, I just want to give honor today, and I want our hearts to be receiving what God has for us. Galatians chapter 4. Six weeks, three chapters down, three to go. Galatians chapter four, verse one, Paul is speaking. He says, what I am saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is still subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by the father. So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of this world kind of confusing couple of verses. I'm going to break it down. Don't worry. Stay with me. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. And because you are his son, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So listen to this, church. You are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has also made you an heir. So we have a title this morning, but it's a, it's a title, but it's also a question. And uh, my title question this morning is super simple. Um, it's this. Are you a son or a slave? son or a slave. Can we clap our hands for the Lord this morning? You guys can be seated. Thank you so much. So glad you could be here. Um, and uh, in case the, the gender specificality of the title offended you, um, it's sons or daughters uh, this morning. But um, if you guys know what an alliteration is, uh, son or slave sounds better. Anyways, we got that out of the way. So glad you could be here. My name is Harrison. Just honored you guys could be here today. Um, just so pumped for what God has been doing in this series. Uh, as I said, seven weeks in the book of Galatians. Um, just by a show of hands, anyone, it's been helping anyone? Anyone feel like, man, um, my hope in this series has been pretty simple that you understand the grace and the goodness of Jesus better. Anyone just like, you can make some noise. Anyone feel like they understand God's grace a little bit better just from this series? Um, 
one of the things that I said, if you guys have a really long memory, um, I said back in week one, I said, as we start this series, as we go through this journey through this book, my hope is that by the end of this series, your worship changes. You guys remember that? I said the whole reason we're going through this book is I want our worship to change. And I said something, uh, and if you missed it, I'm going to say it again. But what I said, I said our worship is a reflection of our revelation. And what I meant by that is that the more that we have understood, the more that God, the more that the goodness of Jesus has been revealed to us, the natural response to the revelation of God is worship. If you guys have been with us in this series, I hope you've seen, I've kind of been talking a lot about Paul and, and my life and hopefully your lives, and we have this understanding that, that, that we are messed up people, that we are broken people, that we are sinful people, that we are not good people, yet despite it all, God has still chosen us to proclaim the message. God has brought us in as sons and daughters, and as we understand that, our natural response should be to worship God. Last week, if you guys remember, I took us on a whole journey through the Bible. Took us from Genesis, I guess I kind of stopped in Galatians, but (laughs) a lot of the Bible. And I showed us how law was not God's first intention. It's always been grace. He's been the God of grace from the beginning. So what that means is God is faithful to his covenant. And thankfully, what that means is because he is faithful to his name, he's faithful to you. And God is faithful to us even when we are faithless. And as we understand that, our natural response should be to worship. As God is revealed, worship is our response. Grace, we've talked so much in this series, is a gift. And what we all know to be true is that when we get a gift, every single time we're given a gift, our natural response is some type of gratitude. It's some type of Worship. What worship is, many times, it's gratitude. It's devotion. And you guys know that when someone gives you a gift, no one needs to teach you how to worship. It just happens naturally. Like my girls, we got two-and-a-half-year-old twin girls, and like when we give them stuff, like specifically the sweet stuff, they kind of like sweets and chocolates and stuff, we don't have to teach them how to respond. Like these girls, like they can be like in this demonic state, but we give them some chocolate, and all of a sudden they become angels. They go, thank you, Daddy. I enunciate the words, interestingly. Like, I'm so lucky. (laughs) Thank you, Dad. Like, we don't have to teach that. It just happens naturally. And what I've been trying to show us over these last six weeks, and if it takes six more weeks to pull it out, I want us to understand that Jesus has given each and every one of us a gift. And that gift is grace, and the response is worship. And, And worship is not just singing. It's not just coming here and listening to music, but it's a part of it. It's a part where we open our mouths. For some of us, our worship comes out in tears. For some of us, it comes out in ways where we cannot even express what is going on other than this this, this feeling of gratitude. For some of us, it causes us to raise our hands. For some of us, it brings us to our knees. Whatever it is, our response is a response to the goodness of Jesus. Now, for some of us, and maybe you're sitting here today and it's like, well, Harrison, like I've, I've, I've been to churches, I've, I've heard the whole worship thing, I've tried to play music in my car, whatever it may be, but like I've just, I've never felt anything. I've never had anything stir inside of me. Now, you need to understand something that every single one of us will respond differently to Jesus. 
And the way in which we express our worship is not going to be the same for me as it is for you. But what I want us to understand, and this is very, very, very important, if we have zero response, zero emotion, it is not to say, well, I'm just not an emotional kind of person. It's actually an indication that something is going on deeper in our spirit. And it is an indication that something is amiss. Because I want us to understand that there is only one response to the goodness of Jesus, and it is to worship. And if we do not have something inside of us that is crying out in us to worship, it means that something is amiss. I want to go to the Gospel of Luke. This is in the New Testament um, before we get to Galatians. But in Luke chapter 19... This is Jesus, and he's coming in um, to Jerusalem, and it says in verse 37, it says, As he was drawing near, already on the way down to the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice. Someone under, underline loud. Because maybe you grew up in a church where you weren't supposed to get loud. I don't know where that came from. Loud voice for all the mighty works. That they have seen, saying, singing, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. The other gospels say that they said, Hosanna. Hosanna, praise the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. So the, the, the people, the followers of Jesus, they see him and their response is to worship him. It comes naturally. But then it says, verse 39, some Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. They can't be saying those things, can't be raising their voices, can't be saying praise God. Verse 40, look what he says. Jesus says, I tell you, if these people were silent, the very stones would cry out. Jesus gets them. And really what he's saying, and this goes throughout, you see this theme in the Old Testament, in the book of Psalms, there's this idea that all of creation is bent towards the worship of the Creator. And so what he is saying, he's saying, if these people don't raise their mouth, he says all of creation was going to praise him anyways. Because everything is created to praise. It is innate in us. You were created to praise. Maybe you've been in worship before and you didn't exactly know what was going on. All of a sudden, like a tear started streaming down your cheek. You're like, what is this? Where did this come from? What's happening? What is happening is that you are experiencing the goodness of God. And so your response is to worship. But if you can't worship, it is an indication that there is something going on deeper in our spirits. And what is interesting in the story of in Luke chapter 19, it is the religious people that are unable to worship God. And in fact, they look down on other people for worshiping God. And so what I want us to understand today is that if you are struggling to worship, if you are struggling to have a response to the goodness of God, what I want to suggest, and this can be whether you've been in church for a long time or a little, that the main thing that holds us back from worshiping God is how we perceive and receive God and the message of grace. Because what I want us to understand and what I want to suggest today is that how we perceive God directly relates to how we worship him. And so I have a really big question that I want all of us to answer today. And it's one question but broken down into two. And it's simply this. Is God my father 
or is God my master? Do I view myself as a son or daughter or as a slave? Is God my father or my master? And how I answer that question will let me know, am I a son or a slave? And what I want to suggest is that our worship is a good barometer for how we view ourselves. And I want to suggest if you struggle to receive the message of grace, maybe you've been here for six weeks, and it's like, Harrison, I get what you're saying. I hear what the Bible says, but it just, I just I can't receive it. What I want to suggest is that the reason you can't receive it is because you view God as master and you see yourself as a slave. And it is only until we are able to see God as father and ourselves as sons and daughters that we are able to receive the message that he has for us. Now, if you're a Bible nerd like I am, just um, sometimes slave and master are actually used in a positive connotation in the Bible. Um, in the book of Galatians today, it's negative, just so we're there. Um, some of you guys are like, don't care. Great. So <laughs> I care because you guys don't remember, but in, in a couple of weeks back, Paul talks about being a slave to righteousness. Um, and so it's in, a cause, it's in a positive connotation, being a slave to God. Anyways, back on track. We're in Galatians. So um, if you guys recall uh, the, the message I read off the top, um, the first bit's a little bit confusing, the language that Paul uses. And so, um, again, this idea of God as father or master, son or a slave, that's our big concept. Um, once again, for the Bible nerds, I'm going to kind of break down exactly what Galatians chapter 4, um, the first couple of verses are saying. But um, in order to understand it, we have to understand the big context of Galatians. So um, for those of you guys who have been here, you're going to know this. I'm going to refresh us with this. But in Galatians, there's a context. There's a conflict. The context is the conflict. There's the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians. And the Jewish Christians are trying to get the Gentile Christians to come under the law. Most specifically, all of the ceremonial aspects of the law. They want the, the, the Gentiles to be like Jews. They want them to eat their dietary way, they want them to keep their holy days, the Sabbath, they want them um, to get circumcised. That's the conflict. Paul's kind of saying, hey, guess what? We're not under the law anymore. We are now under grace. And so um, for the Jews, they're like, grace is cool, but you need to keep the law. You guys remember this? A few kind of people. And so um, again, just to kind of bring up in a modern sense, because maybe you're like, I don't understand this whole grace law thing. How does this relate to me? Um, here's how I want it to relate to you. When you think of how you've related to God in the past, were you governed mostly by rules or were you governed by grace? In other words, when you came to think of God, was your first thought all of the things that you were supposed to do or was it the lavishing goodness of the grace of Jesus? And that's where Paul's trying to get him to go. But this church is caught in this conflict that says, I need to keep the rules. And so if you guys remember last week, what we said, he says the whole reason the law was given, like the law was never God's intention. It was never God's ideal. The law was given, he says, as our guardian. Do you guys remember that? He says the law was given as our guardian to keep us safe until Christ came. So the, the connotation was the law was never going to be forever. And the reason we went back to Genesis chapter 3 and chapter 2 and chapter 12 was to show us that God's way has always been by grace through faith. The law came second. So he says, the law was our guardian. Now that Christ has came, we don't need the law. And so Paul is going to expand on this idea. So Galatians chapter 4, he says, what I'm saying then is that as long as an heir is under age, 
He is no different from a slave. Although he owns the whole estate, the heir is subject to the guardians and the trustees until the time set by his father. Let me explain what he's talking about. Do you guys know what an inheritance is? An inheritance simply is when, in this case, a father is going to pass down something to his son. Right? Generally speaking, you'll get an inheritance when your father dies. And so the whole point of what he's saying, he's saying a son can know that he has a big inheritance coming. Right? Like you can know, like daddy's rich. It's gonna, one, day, one day we're going to be eating good. But at the very end of the day, when you roll up to Starbucks and you need to buy something, if you have no money on your credit card, although you have the inheritance, it's no good if you don't actually have it. Does that make sense? And so in the ancient context, what would happen, specifically if a father would die at an age that he didn't want the son to get an inheritance, someone in the family would guard, really, the the whole estate until the son was of age. And so Paul is using this whole inheritance metaphor to talk about the law. And so what he's saying, he's saying, again, um, let's say the father's gone, the the, the son can have the whole estate, but... He is subject, in other words, he's under the guardians until the time set by his father. So he's like, hey, you're not going to get it till you're 16. Does that make sense? That's kind of the metaphor. So he brings it, and again, this is all just kind of Bible stuff. He says, verse 3, he says, So also, when we were under age, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of this world. And so he's using the law to talk about, again, these idea of the people that were protecting, right, the kid until he got the inheritance. And so he says, when we were underage, when we were too young, in other words, before Jesus, he says, we were slaves under the law, right, uh, under the elemental spiritual forces. So literally like the ABCs, like under all of the things, like don't do this, don't do that, be safe, honor your father and mother, so on and so forth. Paul says, we were under those things while we were underage, Well, we were too young. This is the time before Christ. He says, but when the set time had fully come. In other words, when it was time, when we were ready to receive the inheritance, he says, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. So literally what he's saying, because the Jewish people, if we go back, they would have said to themselves, man, we are the heir to God's kingdom. We are God's chosen people because of Abraham. But what Paul is saying, he's saying, listen, if you only have the law, he's like, you might be the heir. He's like, but you're no better than a slave because you have not actually received the inheritance until God, he says, set the time and Jesus is the time. And so, again, kind of like a whole lot of Bible stuff, I, I, I just bring it out there so we understand the biggest thing. But here's the thing I want us to understand. Here's the simple concept of what he's saying. What he's basically saying is this. If we live under the law, we're a slave. If you do not live under grace, you're a slave. That's the basis of what he's saying. And what Jesus and what Paul wants to do is Paul is trying to move all of us when it comes to how we relate to God from obligation to devotion. He's trying to change our view from God that we follow because he's our master to the God that we want to follow because he is our father. And so here's the simple point basically to, to kind of make it make sense out of all of that. The law 
makes me a slave. Grace makes me a son. Does that make sense? If I want to govern myself by rules, regulations, what I'm supposed to do, this, that, and the other, it makes me a slave. Grace makes me a son. You see, whether you know this or not, every single person in this room today, you are here for one of two reasons. You are here because you want to be here, or you are here because you think you should be here. And at the very end of the day, that small, simple thing will change our whole perception of how we receive Jesus. What I know to be true is that there are people here today that for this entire week, you could not wait to come and worship again. You could not wait to be in this room. Every conversation you had outside of this place, you were telling people about this place. Because there is something, and you just cannot keep your mouth shut. I just cannot wait to worship Jesus. I don't feel like I feel when I come into this place. But then there are those of us that say, well, I guess, like, yeah, it's that time of the week again. I think God probably wants me to be there. It's probably the right thing to do. And you're here today. And what's interesting is that I know in this room, in this place, we fall into both camps. And it's two completely different mindsets, yet we end up in the same place. And so the place isn't as important as the purpose. In other words, why am I here? I know for some of us today, when service ends, you're going to give. You're going to give to the church. You're going to give to what you believe is the vision that God has for us in this place. And as you give, you're going to do it sacrificially, but not even just sacrificially, with joy. Believing, man, God has actually called me to partner with him. I actually can take my blessing, I can bless other people, and you actually cannot wait to do it. It's, it's like, I can't even wait to swipe that card. I can't even wait to send that e-transfer. But there are going to be people as well that are going to give after service. And by our track record, usually e-transfer. It's, our, it's the most popular way of giving at Kingdom Church. But there's going to be people that give, and the reason they're giving is because, well, I, you know, God wants my 10%. So I just, I, I do it because I'm, I'm supposed to do it. And we're going to be doing the same thing, and it's going to have the exact same kind of result, but the outcomes are going to be completely different. Because in both of these cases, we're acting, some of us as sons and daughters, and others as slaves. As slaves. You see, what I want to do today is I want to do an evaluation. We're five weeks, six weeks into this series and really, I want us to ask a simple question, and it's this. Am I governed by law, or am I governed by grace? In other words, the way I live my life, am I a son, am I a daughter, or am I a slave? And so before I get to a solution, I kind of want to diagnose the problem. And so I'm going to go through a list of what I think it looks like to be a slave, someone that lives under the law, and then I'm going to contrast that with what it looks like to be a son or a daughter. Can we do that? And what I want to do, and you guys can do it in this moment, just say, Holy Spirit, open my heart and let me see where I fall. Because at the very end of the day, we can preach grace to our blue in the face. 
But if you view yourself as a slave, you'll never be able to receive grace. So let's look at the law first and what it means to look like, look, what it means to live as a slave. So again, and this is the big contrast between the whole book of Galatians, law and grace, law and grace, law and grace. So here's the first thing. If you live under the law, the law is pretty simple. The law always says do. The law says do. And so for a slave, the dominant thought process when it comes to God, when it comes to church, when it comes to serving, whatever it may be, is simply this. What do I have to do? What do I have to do? Now, people that do not come to church at all, people that have no relationship with God, um, as free as they think they are, they're slaves. It's just as simple as that. And one of the indications you know someone is a slave is this, if you guys have ever invited a non-Christian to church, one of the first questions they always ask is like, well, what do I have to do? If I come there, what am I going to have to do? And it's not a bad question, but it just shows they have a mind of a slave. Now, I'm not so much concerned about those people because they're not here. They're the ones we're loved and called to receive, and they're going to be here one day. Come on, somebody. But I want to speak today because I know there are people that wear the brand Christian boldly, yet the dominant thought process that goes through our brain is what do I have to do? When we talk about grace, there's a dominant thing that goes through your brain, and it is simply this. It cannot be that easy. It cannot be that easy. Harrison, stop preaching. That. It just can't be that easy. And what happens is you are drawn to that idea of rules and regulations. Like, wow, I can get into God's good book. Like, there's something I can do. Like, in the case of the Jews, if I just don't eat certain foods, that like God looks at me better. But what happens is this, and it goes two ways. When we govern ourselves by law, it starts out by producing pride. And pride comes because I'm doing things that I perceive make me better than other people. You guys ever been there as a Christian? Like the way I live makes me higher than them, than those pagans, than those, like the funniest thing Christians do a lot of times is they compare themselves to other Christians. And it's like, oh man, those guys think they're followers of Jesus, but they don't know what I do. Like I fast twice a week. What do those sinners do? And so what happens when you live your life based on law, the result is pride. But what happens, you need to understand this, is that pride only lasts for a season. Because as prideful as we may be, pride will eventually turn to despair. And the reason that pride will turn to despair is because as we try to live properly, as we try to live better, as we try to follow these stringent rules, we will begin to notice an inconsistency that lives in each and every one of us. And it is simply this, try as I may to be good, I am not good. Last couple of weeks ago, you guys all experienced this, you didn't know it, but we saw it play out in real time. You guys know Will Smith? Will Smith had what I believe I would call a human moment because what happened was so funny and he, 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 he displayed a dichotomy that you will live in for the rest of your life if you want to live under the law, that you will try to be good, but you won't be. You see, what happened, what was so funny, people said hypocritical, I say human, is that in his acceptance speech for the best actor, Will Smith said, I am called to be a beacon of love. Something like that. I'm called to be a person of love. And it's funny because 20 minutes earlier, he slapped someone in the face. <laughs> and so he can say, I'm a person of love. But when he slaps himself in the face, 
someone else in the face. What he's showing is an inconsistency exists. And that inconsistency is, I, want, I believe he wants to be a beacon of love. But he's a sinful human. And this is what the law does. Because there are people that want to be good. You are here today, some of you, like, I want to be good so badly. I try to serve. I try to volunteer. I try to be a better person. And so what happens, though, because the law says do, you live in that way, what do I have to do? Paul says in his language, the next thing he says, the law curses. Because if I only live by what I have to do and I realize I cannot do it, my dominant thought process as a slave will simply be I'm not enough. I'm not enough. In that moment, when we fall short of the place that we want to be, the dominant thought process is, I am not enough. The fruit, listen to this, the fruit of trying to gain the approval of anyone, but especially God, is despair. And this idea, I am not enough. I'm not enough. And so Paul says, the law curses. You know, with our social media world that we live in, and this is not so much God, but we live in this way where the statistics are quite clear that the more we consume social media, the worse our health becomes. It's pretty much without debate, and COVID's really helped <laughs> hammer those stats home. But one of the reasons I think this is true among many is that we live in this age of social media where everyone is trying to portray the best of who they are, the best of what they do. And in one sense, it is so religious, they just don't see it. Because we live in this subconscious way where people need to see what I am doing. They need to see if I have served. They need to see if I have loved. They need to see who I have condemned, convicted, whatever it may be. And what happens is the more and more we consume, the more and more we see these other people with their perfect lives, the more we begin to live in despair. Why? Because we know that the reality is I'm not as good as I portray myself. Or I'm not as good as what I see. And so the law always curses. And in the very same sense, whether it's social media or with God, whether it's as Christians, it will lead to despair. It'll lead to despair. And so what happens is the law says do, the law curses, and then the law shuts your mouth. The law shuts your mouth. And literally the dominant thought process of a slave is I can't worship. And we say things like, I've, just, I've, I've never been someone that likes to sing. That's just not who I am. I'm not, I'm not going to raise my hands. Like, no, God knows my heart. But what happens is the law shuts your mouth. Because when you begin to live in despair, when you begin to live with this dominant thought process that says, I am not enough, what do you have to praise for? When you live with this constant deficit, what is there to praise? And so the law always shuts your mouth. And over time, the despair, listen to this, pride goes to despair, then despair turns to bitterness. And when we actually come into the presence of God, we get bitter. And we sit and we look around and we say, that can't be authentic, those guys singing up there. I don't, they're not feeling I know they're not feeling it because I don't feel it. And so finally, the law puts us in bondage. And we are now a bona fide slave. But the craziest part about this, because we still want to govern ourselves by some sense of God, is we still follow God. 
but we have to follow God. I have to follow God. Now, I want us to understand something. I believe this to be true. The absolute worst place you can be on planet Earth is not as an atheist. It's not as a Satanist. It is as someone that believes they have to follow God out of obligation. And I believe, based on the words of Jesus, that in heaven there will be no slaves. There will only be sons and daughters. But what's going to happen, let me just read Jesus' words. It's better if he says it. Matthew 7, this is Jesus. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, drive out demons, perform miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. This is probably one of the most harshest things that Jesus says in the whole New Testament. And the reality and the context, though, you need to understand, is that he's in this large context of the Sermon on the Mount. He's trying to move people away from this religiosity into a real and genuine relationship with him. Because what he is saying is there's people that will serve literally as slaves for their entire life, prophesying in his name performing miracles in his name. And Jesus will say, I never knew you because you were a slave. And that's what the law does. The law makes us a slave. The law curses us. And if you're under the law, you are cursed. And it sounds hopeless, but it's not because Galatians chapter four, verse four says, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. The whole reason that Jesus came was to move you from a slave to a son, to take you out of the curse. One thing you need to understand is that Jesus, when he was on earth, he kept the law. Why? Because he cannot free us from the law unless he perfectly kept the law. That's what it says when it says he was born under the law. He was born under it, kept it perfectly to redeem those of us who cannot keep it perfectly. And because he did it perfectly, we can now receive adoption to sonship. If you feel like you are a slave, if you feel like you've been worshiping God out of obligation, I'm here to say, guess what? Jesus has redeemed you from that curse. You no longer have to live as a slave. You can live as a son. You can live as a daughter. Why? Grace. It's just grace. So let's, let, let's go through this thing. The law says do. Grace says done. So the dominant thought process through our brain is thank you, Jesus. That's why when we come to worship, it doesn't really matter if I don't like the song. Because the question I need to be asking is, are the lyrics true? Is God an awesome God? Yep. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus made a way where there was no way. Jesus took me who was in bondage, me who was a slave, and he has made me a son. Grace allows me to rest. You need to understand that. Grace allows me to rest. If you have no rest in the promise of God, you are not governed by grace. You are governed by law. 
because grace gives you rest. Because when I sin, when I fall into those things I should not do, the reason I'm not blasted to Jupiter is because God has grace. And because I am his son, and grace allows me to rest in that. And so if grace says done, where the law, where the law says do, the law curses, listen, grace redeems. Grace redeems. And the dominant thought process for someone that lives in grace is so simple. I am who you say I am. I am who you say. This is one of the hardest things to grasp. But that's why we need to govern our life by scripture, not feelings. Romans 8, chapter 1 says that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? It means when the devil wants to condemn, when people want to condemn and convict and say, hey, you're not as great as you think you are, I say, yeah, you're right, I'm not that great, but I'm in Christ. And because I'm in Jesus, there is no condemnation. So, haha, see you later, devil. I am who you say I am, Jesus. And it's hard and it takes time. And in this way, this is where so many of us get confused and so many of us get lost because when we sin, we think the solution is to act better, live better, do better. Now, where it gets confusing is that when God changes your life, you need to understand this, your behavior is going to change. It just happens. When God changed my life at the start, I began to change a whole bunch of things I was doing because I moved from life to death. And so when I first really started following Jesus, I got it twisted. Because God called me to stop doing a whole bunch of things, and so then I started telling everyone else to stop doing a whole bunch of things. Because I thought, like, that's how God redeems, by getting rid of all the bad stuff in your life. But what I didn't understand, it took God a whole lot of working in me to let me know, like, Harrison, I told you to stop doing those things, not so I would accept you. Those are for you. So you live a better life. <laughs> so you'd have less pain, less heartbreak. But it's grace that saves. You are who I say you are. Listen, I want us to understand this. When you mess up, the solution is not to act different or act better. It's to go to the Father. And say, I need grace, Jesus. And it is through grace, really, that you'll begin to change your behavior. We'll talk about behavior um, in a couple of weeks when we get to the fruits of the Spirit. But I want us to understand that behavior has nothing to do with salvation. Nothing to do with God's acceptance of you. You are a son and a daughter simply when you put your faith in Jesus. Amen. And so listen, the law curses and the law shuts your mouth. What do you think grace does? Grace opens my mouth. Amen. And I have this thought process that says, Jesus, to worship you I live. It's not that I love to, to sing or stand. It's not that I love a certain style of music. or It's not that I always feel good. But it's to realize, man, if out, without the grace of Jesus, where would I be? Amen. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Yes. It means my only response to the overwhelming grace of Jesus is thank you. Amen. What can I give God for what he's given me? Nothing but a thank you. Amen. Nothing but a thank you, Jesus. And so at the very end of the day, what grace does is grace frees us. It frees us. And this is the thing, as we kind of deconstruct and go through this, my dominant thought process then becomes, not I have to follow Jesus, but I get to follow Jesus. I get to go to church today. I get to serve today. I get to give today. I get to love today. I get to live another day. 
Thank you, Jesus, and grace allows me to live in freedom. I do not live in freedom because I'm perfect. I do not live in freedom because I don't have sins, downfalls, shortfalls, any of those things. I live in freedom because Jesus has set me free. And who the Son sets free is free indeed. Paul's about to say in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, he says, It is for freedom that you have set, been set free. Seems like a weird sentence, right? It has been for, it's for freedom you've been set free. What does that mean? It means God's thought process when he thinks of us is I want you to be free. I want you to be a son. I want you to be a daughter. I want you to be free. And I, I love what he says next, Galatians 4, 6. He says, because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you an heir. I want us to notice something. The language in this is all present tense. It is not future. He says, today, you are his son. God sent his spirit today. You're no longer a slave today. You're his child today. God made you an heir today. The book of Hebrews chapter 4 says, God appointed a time long ago. That time is today. It's today. You can become a son today. You can become a daughter today. That, that language, he says, the Holy Spirit, listen to this. He says, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, and the spirit calls out Abba, Father. So how do, I, how do I actually understand God as Father? He says, the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit's work, the Holy Spirit's job. And in those moments, maybe it's here in worship, maybe it's at home, when you're reading your Bible, whatever it may be, that thing inside of you that is saying, cry out, whatever the emotion may be, that is the Holy Spirit trying to bring you closer to the Father. Now, the New Testament was written in Greek, but the one word that the Greeks never changed from Aramaic is Abba, and Abba means father, and in the Aramaic, it doesn't just mean like father, um, it's literally like what a child would call their dad, right? Like it is the most, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, just, it's kind of sentimental term, yeah, intimate, that's the term I'm looking for, intimate. Like you guys know like as kids, the older they get, like the less intimate the title becomes, it's like dada, daddy, dad, father. Like you wouldn't believe what Jim did yesterday. <laughs> That's your father, son. <laughs> and so Abba is literally that most intimate term. And so what Paul is trying to say is that the Holy Spirit, what he's trying to do, he's trying to get us to see God as the most intimate father you could ever imagine. And so here's the point I want us to understand for every single one of us in this room. We will always view ourselves through the lens of how we view God. I will view myself through the lens of how I view God. What am I trying to say? If I want to be a son or a daughter, I need to see God as father. I should see him as daddy. Now, I wish I could just end there and just say, listen, just think of God as father. Make him your dad. But here's what I know to be true. Many of us view our heavenly father through the lens of our earthly father. And so what that means is whether we know it or not, our earthly fathers shape us a whole lot more than Galatians chapter 4, verse 6. And so for so many of us, it's, it's funny, but your picture of God a lot of times looks a whole lot like your dad. And so if your dad was a drill sergeant that had little emotion, that never said he loved you, 
it's funny that like the picture of God you have is drill sergeant. That your dominant thing with getting people to understand God is that God is a God of order. Got to keep things in order. For some of us, if your dad was, fought, was absent, you didn't have a dad. It can be hard for us to understand that God is our father because all I know from my father is he wasn't there. I never had a father. For, for some of us, even if you had a really good dad, some of you guys are the best dad ever. But the best dad ever on earth is still a fallen, imperfect being. And so two things I want to say. Number one, this is kind of a sad note, but I say for, for fathers, you have a great burden and a great responsibility because you will be a picture of the Heavenly Father to your children. And I now bear that weight, and I hope that I can live up to it in some way. But number two, what we need to realize, number for fathers out there, have grace for yourself. And for children, have grace for your fathers. Because your fathers are not perfect. Only our Heavenly Father is perfect. And what I believe that God sent me here today to say to each and every one of us in this room is that there is a perfect father in heaven and he has a heart for you as his son and as his daughter. And I, I'm going to try not to cry. Um, I'm not going to, don't worry. I still got a story, so I might, we'll see. We'll see where it goes. But I think for a lot of us, it's going to be a deconstruction process today of, of what a picture of a father was in your mind to who God is. But I want you to understand that the father in heaven, his heart is for you. And if you take one thing out of this message today, it is simply this. God loves you. God is for you. There is nothing you can do to let him down because you're never holding him up. And everything you've ever wanted from an earthly person is found in the heavenly father. And I'm just going to tell the story because maybe it's going to help some people. Because um, a lot of times we hold things and we have pictures of God that we don't even know we put there. And you know, for me, I was driving, and I told you guys when I drive a lot of times, listen to music, that's when God speaks to me the most. Um, and I was driving, I was listening to a song, and it's interesting because Paul says it's the Holy Spirit that calls out Abba, Father, right? The Spirit does something in you. And as I was driving, just listening to music, uh, what I did not know is that a lot of how I relate to God is based on what I do. Not even in, like, the rules, religious sense, but, like, in the, this kind of sense. Preaching, being a pastor, you know, having a church, all these things. And I was driving in my car one day and I just felt the Holy Spirit speak to my heart as a father. And he just said to me, he just said, Harrison, you could never open your mouth again and I'd still love you. You could never preach again and I'll still love you. I'm still, you're still my son. And I just, I started to cry like I like weep in my car by myself. And I just want you guys to know today in this room, whatever your picture of God is, he is for you as a father. And he loves you as a father. And his heart is that no one would be a slave, but everyone would be a son. And I want to release anyone in this room that you feel like you're a slave. Because it's for freedom that God has set us free. He is our father. Psalm 68. Um, Amy, can you, can you come give me some keys? Um, it says, sing praises to God and to his name. Sing loud praises to him who rides the clouds. His name is the Lord. Rejoice in his presence. Look at this. God is the father to the fatherless. He's a defender of the widows. This is God. Come on, somebody. This is God. 
whose dwelling is holy. God places the lonely in families. You feel alone, you feel like you're abandoned, you got a family here. And who's the daddy? Jesus. And he sets the prisoners free and he gives them joy. Can we just stand for a second, church? I wanna speak to someone today. And maybe you feel like you've been a prisoner. Maybe you feel like you've been a slave. No longer, this is the moment. This is the moment we move into sonship. This is the moment we become daughters of the king. This is the moment that the father is there for the fatherless. He's a defender of the lowly. If today you're saying, Harrison, I just want to accept that Jesus. I want to have that picture. I want that father. Guess what? The language that Paul uses is present tense. Today we become sons. Today we become daughters. Today we walk in freedom. Today salvation has come today. So I just feel in this moment, um, if you want to receive that, let's just, um, just bow our heads for a second. I want to pray over that. And I just feel, like I said, that um, our response to, to the revelation of God is to worship. And so I just really feel like we need to worship one more time. Think we can do that? Um, so I'm gonna call the worship team up here um, in a moment. Prince, if you can find Claire, I, I think she went out there. We're just gonna worship one more time. Um, and I'm gonna pray for us first as the worship team makes their way up here because we're just gonna praise Jesus for being an awesome God as we respond to the revelation. But right now in this moment, every head bowed, every eye closed. If you wanna just receive Jesus today as a father, if you want a fresh picture, if you wanna stop living as a slave but start living as a son, can you show me your hand this morning? keep those hands raised. I just want to make a second appeal right now. Because maybe you've had like a flesh conversion before where it's like, I know I should follow God. But today for the very first time, if you're saying, Harrison, I want to follow God, I want you to raise that hand. Maybe it's a second hand. And I want to pray for us in this place before we worship Jesus. God, I just thank you for who you are. I just thank you for what you're doing. And God, I just pray for every person in this space today, God, that came in here as a slave, that they may leave as a child of the, of the king, a child of, of you, God. I just thank you for what you're doing in our hearts. I thank you for your word. I thank you for its life-changing power, Jesus. And I just pray today, God, that our hearts should be turned to you forever. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's worship together. Hey, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to that message. We hope that you were encouraged and inspired. If you made a decision to follow Jesus or you want to find out more about our church, why don't you head over to kingdomchurch.ca. We would love to get in contact with you. Until next time, take care.